bulletin. I believe they were in the bulletin, but I um, really want to take a moment and highlight how important I really think it is that you have one. If you do not have one of these handouts, um, we have, and their status there, and to also just see a massive outpouring of the Spirit for people to come to Christ among the Muslim people that they're serving. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray twice. This is my first prayer. So we're going to pray for them. Will you please close your eyes with me and let's pray. Father in heaven, we just ask you right now to remind us of the privilege of being in your activity. The invitation that you've extended us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Lord, that it is a privilege to preach the gospel. It's a privilege to share Christ. Remind us. And for our dear sister and our dear brother, Taylor and Caleb, we pray, God, that you would protect them, that you would pour out your spirit on them as they share the gospel with this unreached people group. And God, we pray, Lord, that they would have abundant peace, abundant assurance, and God, that there would be just amazing stories of harvest while they're there. So, Lord, Lord, be with them, and we thank you for them in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Since we're on the topic of war, and honestly, it's in your headlines, <laughs> we're going to be discussing war. Now, this isn't the kind of war we're hearing about on the news. This is the war that every person, whether they believe it or not, is currently entrenched in. It's spiritual war. And today, I'm here to tell you that the war has been won. The war has been won. When we talk about spiritual warfare, it is so easy to fall victim to the wrong idea about what this war is. And even what our role in this war is. When you talk about spiritual war, makes it sound like the war still hasn't been won yet. There's still a chance the other side might win. But beloved, that's not the case in the war we're talking about. Because the war has been won already. And so... As we consider the fact that the war has already been won, there are a few things that we have to bring to our remembrance. There are things that we need to realize and to remind ourselves of. And so that's what I'm hoping to do. But before I do so, I want to read you a scripture because this, this is so important to set the stage. It's from Ephesians. And I think it'll come up there if I can get it to go. Nope. There it is. No, who's, who's back there? Griffin, yes. Thank you, Griff. This is what the scriptures from Ephesians say. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness. And a little clarity if you need it. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So as we continue forward, I want you to remember this. This is, you know, the people walking down the streets that disagree with you. They're not your enemy. Your real enemy is hidden. And so let's take that into consideration as we seek the Lord in prayer. God, we just ask you in the name of Jesus to pour out your spirit upon us and that, God, you would do a work through your word and 
through this moment where we're here, all of us together. And Lord, you would remind us, you would encourage us, you would strengthen us, God. I pray that you would help me to decrease and for Jesus to increase. God, let me get out of the way. I just ask for your words to go forth and not my words, Lord. Even though I've got stuff on this tablet, may what is said be from you and not me. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, let's jump right into it. Today, I have five truths for us to hold on to, because in this spiritual war, and this is our main idea, we must remind ourselves daily that we do not struggle for victory, but from victory. We do not struggle for victory, but we struggle from victory. Let me explain the difference. If we were struggling for victory, that would mean the war has yet to be won and that we somehow have the power in ourselves to win it. But that's not the case. You see, struggling from victory means that the war has been won and that we are merely acting and behaving in the power and authority that our victorious king has made available to us by his win. It's less about us and more about him. That's what this is all about. So these five rem reminders that I'm presenting to you, they are tended, intended to be recycled every day, especially when you feel the struggle intensifying. And I'm just going to throw this out here. I'm going to say things. I don't know where many of you might be with some of these things, but just hear, hear me for a moment. I get passionate. I get, I get elevated in my tone. I just want you to know I'm telling you this stuff because I love you. I'm, I'm telling you what I perceive from the scriptures to be gospel truth because I love you and I don't want you to be a slave. So let's jump in. To struggle from victory, number one, remind yourself that you have received Jesus Christ, the Lord, or the Lord, whatever you want to pronounce it. You have received Jesus Christ, the Lord. And I'm putting emphasis on the Lord on purpose. So Paul in Colossians is combating what I like to call loser philosophies. Loser philosophies and loser traditions that are counter to the gospel or uh, contrary to the gospel. So to do this, he has to go back to the basics for a moment. Look at verse 6. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. The way Paul opens this section indicates that what the Colossians received was a tradition and a worldview that is one that is able to squash and crush all others. It's not a human tradition and it's not an elemental spirit tradition, it is a Jesus tradition. And I say Jesus tradition because while what they received lays out parameters for Christian living, and yes, the gospel does 
impact the way we live. It does. The center, really, of the tradition is not morality. It's Jesus. Jesus is the center. Jesus Christ is the tradition. You see, the Colossians had received Jesus Christ as their tradition. Not information about Jesus only, but Jesus. And the strong impression from this text is that they actually embraced Jesus. Like he came to them and they just took him and they held him. Not just the message and put it in their back pocket. They took Jesus. And so, beloved, if we likewise want to do the same, Jesus has to be our tradition. Not information about Jesus or not morality, but Jesus has to be our tradition. Jesus is our life. Jesus is our all. And Jesus came to the Colossians and they received him. Have you received him? Have I received him? I mean, everyone should ask this question. And not only just some version of him, but the real him, the real Jesus, the Lord. You see, there are so many versions of Jesus peddled. But we don't want to receive them. We don't want to receive what the movie Dogma calls Buddy Christ. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It was a very poor um, per, perception of Jesus. We don't want to receive the Jesus is my homeboy that you might see people wearing shirts of. We don't want to receive the feminine Jesus of the 60s and 70s who just looks like a lady with a beard. I know those are beloved. I know some people love those pictures. I get it, but I'm just telling you that's not a clear picture of who Jesus really was. We don't want to receive the still crucified Jesus of Catholicism or not the so called historical Jesus, as if he's more historical than the one presented from Scripture. Some people of what they call the historical Jesus movement have concocted this imaginary Jesus. And they've made up stuff. Don't let them fool you. But we want to receive the Lord who is Jesus. The real resurrected Jesus. The Lord of the cosmos. And victor over death, sin, and Satan. That's who we want. And when we receive the real Jesus, we not only get him, but we pledge ourselves to him. We, we pledge allegiance to him because, beloved, I'm telling you this. If you really receive Jesus, he doesn't just become your homeboy. He doesn't just become your homeboy. He becomes someone that you have only one response you can give, and that is Lord. When you see him for who he truly is. And so when we remind ourselves and we renew our minds that we've received the real Jesus, the Lord, it's renewing our minds, it's transforming our thinking, it's transforming our affections, 
And we have to let it do that transforming work. You have to throw your will aside and let his will for you manifest as you receive him. That's what he means in verse 7. He, he says we're to be rooted and built up in him, that is Jesus, and established in the faith. Just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here's what I would recommend. If you want something practical to do, this is what I say to you, beloved. Get in the habit of every day rehearsing the gospel to yourself. Justification by faith. I look at Jesus in faith and he has saved me. I don't have to do anything else. He saved me. Full atonement of sin, meaning my sin is paid for. Remind yourself, my sin has been taken care of by his blood. Remind yourself that it's not just some Jesus you've received in the gospel, but it's the true Jesus, the Lord of all. And he owns you. He holds you as his own. He loves you. Essentially, when I'm telling you to rehearse the gospel, I'm trying to tell you that Jesus is the gospel. And we rehearse him. This is what it means to walk or continue in him. Because, beloved, the gospel isn't just where you start your Christian journey. It's not something you just walk down the aisle and that's it. No, the gospel is also how you sustain your Christian journey. You need it. You need him. So remind yourself that you have received the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, to struggle from victory, remind yourself that the enemy's lies are empty. This whole letter, Paul is trying to address something that we call the Colossian heresy. Heresy means it's not truth. It's diverting from the truth. In fact, it's just completely wrong. And the Colossian heresy was just a hodgepodge of all sorts of different ideas. Things like uh, more d concocted morality, even Jewish morality. Um, they were taking in philosophies about Jesus, saying Jesus wasn't fully divine. He's not enough for your salvation. No, no, no. They were taking traditions of men. People had taken these things and put them all in a package and presented it. They were supposed to be keeping these ceremonial laws. They were trying to, they were supposed to absorb, absorb, observe, observe these celebrations and special days as if they were somehow going to really save them. But that's not the true gospel. Verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Notice he throws Jesus at the end. It's not according to Jesus. He throws Jesus in there on purpose because he wants them to look at what they're being given compared to what they received in Jesus. So if you are to be captive by a philosophy, it means you are enslaved. And Paul is saying, don't be enslaved. You weren't bought for slavery, beloved. You were saved. You were freed. These things will take you prisoner and you will struggle to become free. Whether you know it or not, sometimes you don't even realize you're enslaved. 
And he says, he's basically saying about this slavery is not just from humans. It's human tradition, but he's saying all antichrist philosophies and traditions, these lies, they have one source, and it's the demonic, the enemy of your soul. That's where they're from. Paul's saying, know your enemy. Know your enemy's motives. Know your enemy's ideas and schemes. But, beloved, you might, maybe you've read The Art of War. Sun Tzu wrote The Art of War, and he has this idea about knowing your enemy that's completely wrong to what Paul's arguing here. Sun Tzu would say, you know your enemy to become your enemy. So you take what your enemy does and you flip it on them, and that's not what we're doing. We're not doing it the way Sun Tzu would say, We're, we are knowing our enemy because he has tactics that are very effective for us and he's trying to keep us from the truth. He's trying to keep us from the reality that Jesus is way more powerful than he is. You see, you, you and the demonic are not the only two parties in this war. You see, God is the primary, I would say, um, primary, oh man, all my English vocabulary is going out of my head, not a protagonist. God is the protagonist, Satan is the antagonist, and you're just caught in the middle. And so he doesn't want you to get that, but... We need to know our enemy's inferiority to Jesus. That's why he's throwing in Jesus. Look at Jesus compared to what the demons are giving you. Jesus is better, bigger, stronger. So here's what I would say to students, young people, college students, middle school, high school, elementary. Be mindful that you are going to encounter intentional attacks in the classroom. On TikTok, on Insta, wherever you look as a young person, they got algorithms to enslave you. So be mindful. And then adults, you're not immune to this. You're also bombarded daily with lies that wish to enslave you. You get them in the news. You get them on the TV. You get them in your music. All the, some of the policies even at your work wish to enslave you. Be aware and learn to recognize everyone. Learn to recognize these philosophies and human traditions when they are being presented to you. Things like, and I'm just going to say some things I believe based on what the Bible teaches are not the true gospel. They have, some might have shades, but things like Marxism, Freudianism, you like psychology, hedonism, theological liberalism, Darwinism, I not want to hear this. Catholicism, Buddhism, Hinduism. You see, I'm telling you this because there's some Christians that can be so naive and really foolish when they interact with these things. Usually, they'll do it because they want to find a sense of unity or what we call ecumenicalism or just like a blending and working together, but beloved, a lot of people don't realize this. 
that just like the Colossian heresy, these human traditions and philosophies are, as one commentator put it, a purposeful, purposeful, everybody say purposeful, purposeful attempt to draw Christians away from their anchor point, who is Christ. So you need to be aware of that. Recognize these things. And, and while you do that, you also need to know more importantly, you need to learn to recognize authentic gospel truth. The more you ingest the scriptures, the more you will be able to recognize that which seeks to enslave you. And then in the same breath, you're going to fall more and more and more with the, lo- the one who has freed you. That's what Paul's meaning when he's saying, let the roots go deep. We're seeking, sinking the roots of faith into the soil of Christian truth. Because the enemy's lies are empty. So, third, to struggle from victory, remind yourself that you have been Filled in Christ. In verse 9, Paul says, For in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, the whole fullness of who God is, dwells bodily. Like, essentially, he's saying, while Jesus is fully a man, Jesus is fully God. That's awesome. Like, even Solomon would say, he said, man, even the, this temple I'm building, it's not going to fill, it, it can't even hold you. The stars can't hold, like that sky can't hold you. You can't be held by anything. But here we see God humbling himself and letting his fullness reside in Jesus. Like, but I'm not saying they're separate, but it's crazy. You can't even comprehend it completely. How amazing this is. But remember what I said a moment ago. We need to know our enemy's inferiority to Jesus. I said that. Okay. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm going to give you a sports illustration, all right? Some athletes are inferior to others simply because they're just not very good at their sport. Some people try out for a team and they just aren't they just don't for some reason it's not clicking that was me okay um there's a reason i'm not good at soccer the other day the varsity team was doing some shots at the goal and i was like coach emory can i get in there i want to kick it i was so pumped up he said yes great i get up there and i'm put the ball down and i'm thinking i'm gonna make this a mess they are gonna laugh at me and i kicked it and it went all the way to the left, hit the, the, po- the post, and then Matthias missed it, and it went in the goal. And they were all cheering, and I was like, that was an accident. <laughs> so, um, I'll even say this. I'm in- inferior to Pastor Scott at golf, not because he's really good. He probably is, but because I'm really bad. Okay? We had a golf tournament a few uh, last week, last year I got the I got I lost completely, and they gave me some balls to practice. Um, but here's the thing about our enemy: 
Rather than our enemy's inferiority being determined by who he is or his skill set, our enemy's inferiority to Jesus is dependent upon Jesus' infinite superiority. Why? Because your enemy is a lot stronger than you. He's invisible. Are you invisible? Exactly. Out of the mouth of babes. None of you have a cloak of invisibility. He's also supernatural in his activity. I, man, I'm barely natural at anything. You have to understand this. Your enemy outsmarts you, out overpowers you at every turn. You, you can't defeat him on your own. His inferiority is completely dependent upon Jesus' superiority. Jesus is God. Jesus is, if you haven't got it already, completely God. He's God in human flesh. And if this is true, then Jesus is indeed superior to all. All. And this is amazing in and of itself, but it just keeps getting better. Look at verse 10. He says, you have been filled in him. The superior one. Who is the head of all rule and authority. So before you, before you make a mistake, I, he's not saying you're God too. If you think you're God, repent. Turn. He's using a play on words. He's trying to make a point. Paul is so gifted with writing and speaking. He's purposeful. And this play on words is supposed to show us just the beauty of who Jesus is and what we have in Jesus. In our salvation and in our relationship to Jesus. He's trying to show us that in Jesus and in Jesus alone, God has decisively and exhaustively revealed himself. And all that we can know or experience of God is therefore found in our relationship with Jesus. That's what he's saying. We fully know personally God's character because we see it in Jesus. We fully know God's affections because we see them exemplified in Jesus. We know fully God's intentions because we see them and learn them from Jesus. And we know, and we're, here, we're able to comprehend it all fully because Jesus sent his spirit to us. The reason I'm saying that is because without the Holy Spirit, you can't even get it. This is just silly. It's like, what is this idiot talking about? That's what you're going to think without the Holy Spirit. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that you could understand who Jesus is and therefore understand who God is. That's how much he loves you. He knows you can't get it. He knows you can't get it. So he helps you get it. All our fully knowing is dependent upon the Spirit fully filling us. It's not our ability to comprehend it. It's about Him revealing it. And then we take it and we're like, we got, we're filled in Him. I got it all. 
And I'm going to be honest, I have to admit to you that there are days I get really down. And I get so heartbroken about my circumstances and I'm praying and things aren't happening when I want them to and I'm just broken and then I start dabbling in sin and then my life comes to ruin and I'm sitting there, God, and I'm saying, God, I don't know what to think of this because you tell me I've been filled in him. I've got everything and I'm telling you, I don't feel like it. What's wrong with me? What's wrong? Have you felt that way? I, I think that the reason we feel this way and we struggle with this is because we've done what Paul's been telling us not to do. We've adopted a philosophy of our age and then we filter everything through that lens when we look at Jesus. And I'm calling it the instant gratification culture. We live in a time where I can go get my breakfast at McDonald's right away. Netflix will give me the movie I want at just a click. I don't have to go to Blockbuster anymore. May it rest in peace. I don't have to do that anymore. I just get it right away. And every endeavor of human society has always been to gratify now and here. But beloved, harvest doesn't come but once a year. Jesus compared our faith to a seed. And a seed takes years to become a tree. And then it takes years to produce fruit. Beloved, we gotta, we've been duped. We have been duped. So I would tell you, if you are feeling like I've felt, then I just ask you to press in. Press in, press in, because you have been filled in Christ. And it, it isn't going to be instant where all your problems are fixed. And your feelings are going to be right. you got to press in. And I, I would remind you of what Jesus said about prayer. He talked about a widow who needed justice for her son. And the judge wouldn't give it. And she just kept going, go, go. I'm gonna, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. This evil, wicked judge one day just got so annoyed. And he said, you know what? I'm so sick of this woman. I'm giving her justice. And beloved, you need to know your father is not wicked. He's not evil. He loves you. He wants good for you. He sent his son for you. And if Jesus is truly who he says he is, and Jesus is honest, then Jesus said to us, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will he give good things, and especially his good spirit to us who ask? Keep asking. Keep pleading. Keep pursuing. Don't grow weary in doing good. Fourth, I got to keep going. I got to... Almost done. To struggle from victory and remind yourself that you have been given Jesus' record. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. A spiritual one that comes from putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now he's alluding to Jesus keeping the law. Jesus' record. Having been buried with him in baptism. Oh, so I've been buried with Jesus? Jesus did that. I didn't do that. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Jesus raised from the dead. I have yet to do that. But I'm, I'm with him. Who, 
raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So everything that was mine is now not mine. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here Paul's saying, Jesus' righteous pre-resurrection life before the cross is our, resur our righteous life now. His perfection at keeping the law. If you are looking at Jesus and you say, I believe you, Jesus, I believe what you did. If you believe that and you are pursuing him and looking at him, you have his perfect record at keeping the law. You have his perfect record of loving God and loving his neighbor. And beloved, when God looks at us, and, and you've got to know this, the most important opinion is not yours or society's. It is God's opinion. And when he looks at you and you're in Jesus, he sees a life that Jesus lived. His view is the view that matters most. But more than that, Jesus' punishment and death for sin is now our punishment and death for sin. All the wrath, and it's rightfully so, God is righteous to hate sin. All of that has been st was stored up by God and our cosmic treason. It has been poured out completely on Jesus. Nothing left, no drop. Because just as when God the Father looks at you and sees Jesus, when God the Father looked at his son on the cross, he didn't see the righteous son he knew. He saw you and me in Christ. Your gambling addiction, your porn consumption, your lies and your deception, your rage and your murder, your pride, my pride, it all went to Jesus, and so the Father poured out all of that wrath on Jesus. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead is now our resurrection. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, so the Son of God will resurrect his people. Paul talks about it so confidently that when he talks about Christ's resurrection, he says, that was you. By giving us Jesus, God has demolished all legal demands that were on us. The law of Moses has no claim on us now. And I'll even tell you this, because you need to know this. You live in this culture right now. Every law and legal demand that is put upon you by demons and men do not stand against the cross. If you don't believe that you live in a world like this, perhaps this is familiar. You can't eat this. You can't say that. You can't have that type of car. You can't vote for this guy. You can't drink that. By the way, you owe this because this is your skin color. Oh, and if you don't vote for me, then you ain't really this. You don't have the right to your money because you're supposed to let us give it to who we want. You don't take your own reusable grocery bag to Ingalls. How dare you? In fact, you, you should be willing to call people their perceived gender. Oh, you better not get upset when he's in their locker room. You can't say something like that because it hurts people's feelings. There's going to be hell to play, pay. You're going to get canceled. All right. That's one side of the aisle. You ready for your side of the aisle? My side? Here's things I've heard in the church. 
You can't drink that coffee in here. This is the Lord's house. How dare you? We shouldn't help him. He doesn't deserve it. You can't wear jeans to church. You wouldn't dress that way to meet the president, would you? I've heard that from the pulpit. You listen to John Mayer? I can't believe you. You shouldn't work at that place that sells liquor. Drinking's a sin. Do this. Do not that. Don't touch this. Don't handle that. You observe Halloween. How dare you? And now, just throw that away for a moment. There's more to that. I get it. But here's the thing. Sin grieves God's heart. So does legalism. Every legalism. So if you're excusing, I would also say this. Don't, don't get deceived. If you're also thinking and hearing what I'm saying, you're like, well, you know, I can still, I can do whatever I want. You know, nobody's perfect. If you're looking at this, what I'm saying, and you're saying, man, well, I can do any, anything because I'm, I'm free in Christ, then you are revealing, you are really enslaved. Because this is all about being free in Christ. Not slavery, whether it's to law or to sin. So anyone or anything that tells you that you need more than Jesus is lying to you. Last point, and then we'll get done it, and you'll get some lasagna, athletes. To struggle from victory, remind yourself that Christ has triumphed over every enemy. Christ has triumphed over every enemy. This is a lot longer than my Devo's soccer team. Verse 15, he, Jesus, or actually, let me, it's the Father. The Father disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. So Paul's saying, your spirit enemy has been stripped of his weapons, their weapons. The demons don't have a weapon. And this is speaking of the weapons against their, your soul. Physically here, you are still going to be tempted. You're still going to hear the enemy accusing you in your ear to your face. And you still at times may believe the enemy's lies, but beloved, the only weapon they really had against you is the accusations they could bring into the court of the king. And because of what Jesus has done, they are not allowed to accuse you anymore before your king. They can do it to your face. They can tempt you here and now. But the only weapon they had against you that had any power was the accusation to take you to hell with them. And they have been disarmed. And they've been humiliated. Jesus rose from the dead. If you've seen C.S. Lewis's The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, you'll remember Aslan's enemies when he took the place of Edmund to die for his treason. They celebrated just like they celebrated when Jesus was crucified. They celebrated. They were, oh yeah, we're going to win the war. We're going to go against our enemy. We're going to kill those kids and all the Narnians. But then Aslan rose from the dead. And he showed up to the battle. And the look on their faces was that of humiliation, fear, and surprise. And then he just ate the white witch's face. But that is what Jesus has done for you, beloved. What they thought was victory was 
failure and defeat. And when he rose, he proved it. Paul's using an imagery of an emperor being conquered by a foreign nation. And then that emperor being naked and exposed and tied and dragged through the towns that they used to rule. And everybody's laughing at them and humiliating them and spitting on them. And beloved, that is what Jesus did to your enemy. Utterly by the cross and resurrection. So when you are accused to your face and shame comes and despair comes, and it will, beloved, you have to remember that the place where it matters, it's not going there. The Father's not hearing those accusations. They don't have that power over you anymore. And so what you must do when he comes a-knocking and tempting you and accusing you, you have to take what he throws at you and use it for your good and God's glory. And what that looks like is when the enemy accuses you and he, he tells you, you did this, this sin, like real sin, take that guilt and shame and confess it to the Father. Confess it to the Father and say, God, I did this. I'm sorry, forgive me. And beloved, he has forgiven you. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you use it for your good and his glory. Don't let him fool you. His weapons are powerless because of Christ's resurrection. So Christ has triumphed over the enemy. So let me recap and then I'm going to close by reading some scripture. I want to ask our band to come up. Remind yourselves that you have received Jesus Christ the Lord. The enemy's lies are empty. You have been filled in Christ. You have been given Jesus' record, and Christ has triumphed over every enemy. You have to remind yourself of this because we must remind ourselves daily that we do not struggle for victory, but from victory. So as we close, I want to highlight this simple fact. At one point, whether you know it or not, we were on the wrong side of this war. We were on the enemy's side. We were following after the prince of the power of the air. We were slaves to Satan. The enemy was defeated, not just so that God could destroy him, but that we could be set free and plucked out of the domain of darkness and put into the domain of Jesus. We have to remember at one point we were enemies of God. And so I'm going to read some scripture as the band's playing. And I say, beloved, whether you are a slave or free, let these final verses I'm reading from Colossians 1 do the work they need to do in you. This is Colossians chapter 1. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the, or excuse me, the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, Jesus. And he, Jesus, is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
Let's stand real quick. I'm going to keep reading. Let's just praise him. Let's lift our hands in praise. This is, he's worthy. For Jesus, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The freedom in the cross you have by the bloodshed. And you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body, Christ's body of flesh by his death. Remember what the Father saw in the Son at the cross in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith. Are you in it? Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, and I just praise God, I don't deserve it. Um, Caleb, I've become a minister. I'm just so grateful. God, we just praise you because of what you've done in Christ for us, and that you've disarmed all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You've triumphed over them in him. There is no more blood to be shed. There's no more accusation to be hurled because Jesus has taken it all. The war has been won. The war has been won. And we stand in that victory and we sing in that victory and we are thankful in that victory. If there's anyone in this room that does not have the gratitude that the gospel produces in their heart, God, make them thankful. Save them if they don't know you. Reveal to them the beauty. Let your spirit do the work you intend to reveal the beauty and majesty of Jesus and the, the worthiness of Jesus and that they just surrender all. God, make it happen by your spirit. I can't convince them with my words. It has to be your word and your spirit doing it. And I'm begging you, God, to do it. So we love you and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.